everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast, an outlet for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark and dreary corners of the internet. I'm your host in this wild ride, William Key, in this episode 120. How's everybody doing on this fantastic end of July? I think this is the last week before uh, you know we move into August, move into the civic holiday. I apologize for not making it out last week and and you know kind of letting you guys know again at the last minute but this stuff happens <clears throat> it wasn't able to kind of come together just because uh, we had a friend's wedding that we had to go to on the friday and we ended up staying uh staying over in a hotel the so we didn't really have a chance i could have recorded it earlier in the week but i also was like yeah, just take the day. You know what I mean? It's just me doing this, right? So I, I'm, I wasn't too stressed about it. So I I don't know. A number of those stories I dropped, I figured they wouldn't be relevant for this week. And I got a whole brand, bunch of brand new stories to talk about, as well as a couple of different uh, game, games, television shows as well that I've been watching, some brand new stuff uh, I've added to the repertoire. Uh, I want to first talk about Marvel's Secret Invasion. This one was an interesting topic. So the last time I talked about Marvel's Secret Invasion, I believe was episode one. This was a six part mini series that Marvel did. And it's sort of chronicling Nick Fury and um, sort of this like scroll v scroll war that was taking place because Nick Fury and Captain Marvel had promised a, an, a sort of a group of scrolls that they'd be able to find them a home somewhere. And it's been like decades and nothing has come of it. So a group of scrolls led by Gravik is basically taken up the reins and is now going to fight back against humans. And they planted scrolls within, you know, positions of power and all across the world uh, and into fairly surprising areas of the MCU and certain characters that actually turned out to be scrolls, which left a lot more questions than answers. Um, and this is going to be somewhat spoilery for the finale of Secret Invasion. So if you haven't watched or are interested in watching Secret Invasion or maybe you haven't caught up, I would suggest maybe clicking off uh, and coming back to this at a later time or perhaps speeding ahead probably like three to five minutes into the podcast. So let's get this out of the way. Um, I I personally feel like this was the weakest of the Marvel miniseries that they've released. You know, I had, you know, some hesitations about shows like She-Hulk and even like even Hawkeye, but more so She-Hulk because of how they sort of like dropped the ball in terms of their endings. Uh, you know, they took chances that they, you know, I was not expecting them to do. Uh, and Secret Invasion was no exception. So they were playing off the fact that Captain America and the Winter Soldier was one of the, the, the best Marvel films of the MCU. And it was a political drama, political thriller. And I think Secret Invasion was trying to borrow elements from that. Um, the, the sort of thing is like, don't trust anyone or trust no one was sort of the line that was being carrying about. So, so in episode one, it was revealed that Agent Ross was a Skrull. We, we still don't know for how long he was a scroll. We don't know if he was a scroll uh, from prior to the events of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But another big spoiler that we found from this episode, which was a pretty shocking spoiler, but one that I was also sort of hinted at and, you know, close-eyed people were starting to catch on to it, was the fact that, that Rhodey actually turned out to be a scroll, uh, and he had also been captured. And it's been speculated that he's, he's been a scroll prior to the events of Endgame which has some serious ramifications and some serious sort of retcons for not only the fact that 
if he was a scroll during Endgame, uh, like he also doesn't know that Tony is dead, and he doesn't know about the blip. He doesn't know about any of that stuff. So the long-standing rumor is that he's been a scroll since the events of Civil War. There's an article out right now where the director actually confirms when that is. I haven't read it, so if you guys know, don't don't spoil it for me. Uh, but the director does, has, in fact, confirmed uh, how long Rhodey has been a scroll, And it could certainly have some serious ramifications for the MCU because now it's like you know, they've obviously been living under our noses and it could mean that certain scenes don't have that same level of impact that they did when we first watched them. And I'm thinking primarily of Endgame because Rhodey was a significant player in terms of being present at Tony's funeral and being present in, those, in his last moments of life. To think that that may not have been the real Rhodey is kind of shocking to the system. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of Marvel fans are okay with that. I think that the, it's going to be a shock to their system if that does turn out to be the case. Yeah, another big thing, too, that we saw from, um, I believe it was the end of episode one, and this has been confirmed that Maria Hill is also still dead. And and then we had a number of other deaths along the way. Of course, Talos in episode four, who was like a close friend and confidant of of Furies, who was also a scroll in hiding. So Fury has lost a lot of people along the way, and you know, with both Maria Hill and and Talos, and then they tried to introduce this sort of like wife of his that he's had since I guess prior to the events of of even Captain Marvel. And then it turns out that his wife is also a scroll, and he's known that his wife is a scroll all this time. And the uh, the strange relationship that the two of them have, that she's just perfectly fine with the fact that he's, like, going off to space and, like, how sort of closed off and, like, how closed off he is to her. And it's like, what the hell kind of relationship is this? This is a very strange relationship. And I think because he obviously knows that, like, she is not the real priscilla who's his wife's name and that he she has just taken control of him but then he has over time fallen in love with this version of priscilla it's that that was a strange sort of love entanglement story that didn't really i understand why they did it they tried to get some a grounded element to fury but i i felt like it was so like tossed in there there were so many new characters that like some of them were like it was well acted but they didn't have enough time to flesh the, the roles out olivia coleman as sonia falsworth was an amazing sort of mi6 operative who was a close friend of of furies who's also this like ruthless interrogator but also kind of has the personality of um Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Just kind of like, oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Shooting in the face of blood, whatever. And then Amelia Clark is Gaia, who is um, the daughter of Talos, who is working with Gravik and then find the change of heart halfway through the series and ends up working with Talos and Fury. Her character is, to me, feels a little one dimensional. <laughs> and she ends up having this big, like, sort of power up, you know, when she ultimately becomes the one to fight Gravik and they're both kind of using Super Scroll serum or whatever. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff to unpack in this series. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of, a lot of major retcons. And it, and one thing that I also have to discuss too is that there was like an up, uproar about the fact that Secret Invasion did not have a post-credit scene. I I mean Marvel kind of popularized the post-credit scene and made it so that like audiences could have something to look forward to and and knowing that characters and stories and 
certain elements or that are teased for future films or future storylines would continue. You would think that Secret Invasion would have teased up, you know, the future for, say, Armor Wars, because Don Cheadle's Rhodey is, uh, is going to be leading the Armor Wars film in a couple of years. Uh, it would have been nice to get a tease for that. It would have been nice to get a tease for, say, the Marvels um, in determining how, you know, Fury is getting back to Saber and then ultimately begins working with you know captain marvel and squad maybe a clip from the film would have at least sufficed but like nothing it was just done uh so i overall i felt like there were some it was a great cast i think that they scored some like top-notch actors to be in this show but it fell flat and unfortunately i think it is the weakest of the marvel shows to have come out to date and that's just not me you know being influenced by what the reviewers are saying i personally was like underwhelmed even by like the last two episodes i thought that the fight scene between gaia and gravik was okay but it was just so weird to watch like gaia and gravik sort of like morphing their body into different avengers like gaia coming in with like drax's arm i'm like that looks disgusting. I'm like, that. that is like terrible CGI. I think the only cool initiation of their fight scene was when they were both going Captain Marvel on each other and like flying through space and attacking each other. Like, okay, that was all right. But the rest of it was kind of weak and, and lame. But that's all I have to say about Marvel Secret Invasion. Let me know what you guys think about that show. I also started watching two new shows. Uh, not one of them isn't new, but Too Hot to Handle Season 5 just came back. A whole new band of misfit idiots, uh, all sex addicted and also really, really hot, getting tossed on an island to join a game show where they don't know what the game show is. Or they think they know what the game show is, but it turns out it's actually too hot to handle. And now they're stuck on an island and they can't touch each other or do any heavy petting or, or kissing or the likes. And, you know, it's a it's a sexed up version of something like Bachelor in Paradise. And I'm here for it. And my wife and I are now going to be tuning into the last three episodes of the show as they've just debuted this uh, today, actually, because of Friday, the recording. And then I also started watching Devil in Ohio, which stars Emily Deschanel as this sort of like, I guess she's sort of like a youth worker within a hospital and, and takes in this girl who had escaped from a cult and has uh, like a pentagram on her back. And she's sort of exhibiting these sort of weird like tropes because she has been sort of tucked away in this closed off cult in the woods for a long time. I'm only on episode two uh, of, I believe, eight. So... I imagine it's going to get pretty hammy and pretty stupid as time goes on. I just have a feeling like the, the premise is cool and they're leading up to something interesting. But I always feel like with a show like this where it's a miniseries, you know, I got this with like The Watcher as well as Red Rose this year. The premise uh, and the concept starts off interesting and then it falls off the rails pretty quickly. So I would like to give Devil in Ohio the benefit of the doubt because it is based off a novel. But I also don't really have faith in this sort of Netflix model of telling a, a sort of suspense thriller drama these days. Um, and part of the reason why I don't really get excited about jumping onto new shows like this, because I feel as if they have to rush, rush to the end because they know that they're not getting a second season. So I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm hate watching this or like, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, but I did start one new game. I have I have not put down Yakuza Like a Dragon. I am going to get back to it. But um, July's PlayStation Plus lineup included Undertale and SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom. And I downloaded both of those and decided to hop on SpongeBob first. Uh, this is a remake, a full, a full remake uh, from the ground up. You know, the concept and, and 
the worlds and all that are still relatively the same, but it's got a fresh cone of paint um, and new sort of controls and new features. Um, Battlefield Bikini Bottom was a game that came out when I was younger. I was about 11 or 12 when I first played this game. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun on the PlayStation 2. It was a lot of a lot of fun to sort of explore the world of Bikini Bottom, uh, different different areas from the television show at the time. Um, revisiting the game, it's like it's like riding a bike. You know what I mean? I got onto the controls pretty quickly. Albeit there was a couple of strange sort of like translations from the original game to playing it now. And I don't know if maybe like that's just me with my nostalgia glasses on, remembering things a certain way. Like for example, how sort of like slippery the um, the sort of downhill slope mechanics are when you're playing as any of the characters and also how quick and responsive the the um the lassoing of between like the little texas hanger things are um sandy just kind of like swings onto it and then let's go and you kind of have to hold the button but then quickly swap to a to do like almost like a a swing jump like your spider-man and then also the the uh, bubble missile, the homing missile too, feels very like, it feels almost like I'm operating the Batarang from Batman Arkham Asylum, which is a very strange comparison, but the two operate so similar. Like you get sort of like a time limit to how long you use them. And also um, it sort of like starts slow and then moves really fast. So you kind of have to like position it the way you want it to go. Otherwise it's just gonna lock in and you're gonna lose control of it. I gotta say, like those are really my only complaints about the game. I think that this game has a lot of positives. Uh, for example, fast traveling between worlds, between uh, areas in the map, is like way, way better. It's about as slick as like jumping between games and between apps on a PlayStation. You can get a full world map, and if you're within, say, Jellyfish Fields at like the, the fourth area where the spatula is, you can hop over to like Rock Bottom and go to like where the final spatula is and it's seamless you don't have to go to the main hub world and then hop into rock bottom or something like that like you can hop between worlds seamlessly and it's there's loading screens of course and those were kind of annoying um because one thing i also remembered from when i was younger was that like if your character goes outside of the zone and the little hand comes in to try to pick you up and bring and bring you back and drop you where you were supposed to go this version of the game now includes a loading screen every single time that happens. And that's one other gripe that I have with it is that the original game that came out in 2002, 2003 did not have that loading screen from what I remember. Uh, so they, I guess because of the fidelity of the graphics, I think they had to incorporate that to kind of allow things to load in a little quicker, I guess. But otherwise, you know, I finished it last night seven i've got seven spatulas left to go and and probably a handful of of patrick socks to collect before i get all 100 spatulas so i may grind it to get the platinum i think it's it is a very achievable platinum especially considering the amount of hours i used to put into the base game i could certainly see myself getting to the end of this uh, with a, probably a little bit of help from like some guides but i can do it we'll see how it goes but those are all the games that I've been playing. I do want to jump into our stories for this week because it has been a pretty interesting week for stories. First off, and what started the week was that I noticed that Twitter has officially rebranded. Uh, we knew that it was coming, that, that Elon Musk was going to reveal uh, X, which was going to be the brand new um, 
<laughs> a brand new replacement for Twitter. This included a minimalist Art Deco, uh, which is X as part of the rebrand. I haven't seen it in terms of the actual base app. Uh, right now, it's still spotting the Twitter bird, but I imagine, you know, given like within the month, it'll probably switch over to X officially. So whenever you open uh, Twitter.com, it'll give you the X logo. The X will be at the top. The X is all over the place. And then Elon Musk was talking this week about how the the app will always be in night mode because night mode is really cool. Uh, so X is sort of their way of of kind of setting aside Twitter and moving forward into the future. Now, of course. Musk has folded the company into an entity called X Corp, whose parent is X Holdings Corp. Now, the concept of X is actually modeled on a Chinese uh, WhatsApp chat called WeChat, uh, where the platform allows users to perform multiple functions from messaging, ordering a taxi and paying bills. So Musk had reportedly told the Twitter staff, you basically live on WeChat in China. If we can recreate that with Twitter, we'd be a great success. The rebrand has already started in their San Francisco headquarters where the company has projected the X logo within the building and reportedly named conference rooms to words that include X. Um, funny enough, too, and this was sort of a meme I was discovering online, people, and it's a small bracket of the population on Twitter uh, because Kingdom Hearts was trending around the time of the X rebrand. Uh, I also saw X videos, which I thought was hilarious for like porn sites so like people who post videos on on x it will be called x videos so that's pretty clever but the kingdom hearts one was kind of funny there are people who were who were repping organization 13 images and and basically saying that because they're on the x platform that means they're part of organization 13 and so people were changing their images to look like the black hooded characters from from organization 13 we're going to get back to that a little later in the show because i had a bit of a funny idea and i wanted to run it by you guys but i don't really have much more uh to say on this uh again you know considering that like a couple of weeks ago we did talk about threads uh and how it was sort of coming up as this competitor to x uh or i want to keep calling it twitter but it is x I haven't. I've seen people using Threads, but it, ha, it has also dropped a lot of subscribers as well. So, it seems as though X is here to stay. People may just get used to it and and continue to go along with the ride. I certainly am just kind of like, you know, using it the same way I've always used Twitter. There were people complaining about the fact that you were given a limit to how many tweets you can see. Uh, I. I really haven't got run into that limit, so I guess I'm just not scrolling on the platform long enough to really hit the cap. But I'm going to use it for as long as I feel comfortable using it, and so far, you know, long live X, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yay, Musk. This next story is not gaming-related, but it does have unprecedented uh, value to our population. You know, given the fact that it is a big story, it is a big reveal... But it's also one that we've kind of seen coming and it's one of those things that it's like, oh, okay, you know, cool. Yeah, we already knew. Um, so there were actually, um, there's a Congress hearing this week about um, the highly anticipated hearing about UFOs or as they referred to them as uh, UAPs. And three military veterans had actually testified in front of Congress on Wednesday, including a former Air Force intelligence officer who claimed that the U.S. government has operated a secret multi-decade reverse engineering program of recovered vessels, referring to uh, recovered biologics from alleged crash, site, crash sites as non-human. Um, and so the UAPs, which are reportedly unidentified aerial phenomenon, 
they were speaking uh, to specific UAPs, uh, including retired Major General David Grush, who went from being part of the Pentagon's UAP task force to becoming a whistleblower. He told the House Oversight Committee's National Security Subcommittee that he had been denied access to some of these government UFO programs, but that he knows the exact locations of UAPs and U.S. possession. So, of course, there have been many sightings over the years, uh, and more recently there have been some released uh, or leaked video, um, one that had showcased uh, a little, like, tic-tac-shaped, like, white orb that was floating in the air and making strange movements, and then one that kind of went off off radar and was faster than, than, than aerial jets were able to kind of keep up with. Grush did confirm that um, they had received non-human biological matter from the pilots of the crafts and that was the assessment of the people with direct knowledge on the uap program that he had talked to that are currently still on the program and of course there was a lot of things that people on the on the the three military veterans were kind of saying like we can't talk about this here on a public platform we would rather talk about it behind closed doors because the people who are sort of like watching this maybe out to get us, essentially. They think that the, the U.S. government could potentially have them harmed or have their families harmed if they reveal any data about aliens. So Blink-182 was correct, man. Aliens do exist. Aliens exist. Uh, and so <laughs> they didn't show anything that we didn't already know, uh, but I thought it was very interesting that they you know, had revealed that there are non-human biologics, which essentially means that the pilots of these ships were not human. It doesn't give us any details as to what they look like. They didn't describe what they look like. You know, you'd, you'd think that they were like tall gray men, like you saw from like close encounters of the third kind to something like, like signs as well. They could be little green men. We, we don't know. They, for all we know, they could be like Cthulhu looking demons that are piloting these planes. But I think it's interesting that we got the final confirmation that they do exist um, and that they have recovered um, and that the U.S. government is keeping classified, uh, you know, UAPs you know, behind closed doors and that they have a protocol for people who are essentially becoming whistleblowers and that they can reveal only so much information, but if they reveal anything more than they're allowed to reveal, that that would not look good for them. They would not do well. And now it seems as if the, go the government is going to be pushing back and trying to get more information from the government in terms of saying like, this is information that should be available to the public if it, you know, could potentially harm us, if it's something that could be throws pose a threat to national security, um, and it's not just the states because they make the states seem like they're on top of the world, like they're the be all end all. But yeah, it could have world ramifications. You know, uh, they're talking about technology that is like fifty thousand years more advanced than we have right now. More specifically, I remember them talking about a specific vessel that was sta staying stationary in the air and had like stabilization technology that like was allowing it to stay put even through like a category four hurricane, you know, a typical fighter jet would probably be swaying back and forth and, and planes would be experiencing turbulence. This jet just did not move. It's as if it was like invisible uh, and the wind was just going right through it. So interesting stuff that we learned here. I, I hope that we get more testimony. I hope that we learn some more details about this. But I think this is the first in, in a big step towards uncovering much more concrete details about these little green men out there. Aliens do exist. 
I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, another story that dropped this week. It does appear that Sony is currently appearing to look for new studio acquisitions, according to some newly emerged evidence. Sony appears to be in the market for some more studios, as suggested by a recently emerged job, and intended to help bolster the company's M&A team. The July 25th listing, first spotted by Reddit user Zukov74, details a managerial role based out of Sony Interactive Entertainment's San Mateo, California. And the posting states that Sony is looking for an experienced economist or business administrator that would help it identify, quote, inorganic growth opportunities, end quote, by the way of acquisitions, joint ventures, investments, or combination thereof. So, of course, this makes sense considering the big ABK deal going on with Microsoft right now. Sony is looking to bolster their their platform uh, with some possible first or second or third party studios to help them develop games that are going to combat Microsoft because they know that this deal is going Microsoft's way and they're going to need some heavy hitters on their side to help produce some stellar first party games. And it makes sense that they're in this in this uh, you know waging this war with Xbox to try to pick up and sweep up some first party studios uh, to, to kind of sweep under their umbrella uh, and then allow those studios to sort of coexist and help each other develop some great games. We think about comparing the PlayStation showcase from June to Xbox's showcase, and it certainly feels as if there isn't enough first party titles at Sony right now, aside from Spider-Man 2, that people have to look forward to. The rest of it seems to be on the multiplayer front, which is fine, but we know that that Naughty Dog is certainly working on something, whether it be a Last of Us 3, the multiplayer factions, or even an Uncharted 5. We know that Ghost of Tsushima 2 is probably in development over at Sucker Punch, and as well, a, um, a, a dev over at Insomniac did confirm that they are leading a AAA unannounced game at Insomniac that's not tied to Spider-Man 2, and it's not tied to Wolverine. So the rumor there is that it could possibly be Maybe another Ratchet and Clank game, or even more less popular Sunset Overdrive. Still a popular game, but we haven't received a sequel to Sunset Overdrive, so that could very well be the other game uh, that Insomniac may be working on for Sony. So we'll wait to see if we do hear anything in the next month or so about new acquisitions from Sony. I'm looking forward to seeing how they bolster the repertoire because that would only mean that better things will come for PlayStation Plus. Um, and it's also a strong indicator that we'll be getting some solid solid studio support uh, for some other games that are coming down the pipe. So getting close to the end, we got a confirmation from a dev over at Ubisoft who is working on Star Wars Outlaws that they talked about the design goals in terms of length and size of the game because right now star wars outlaws is shaping up to be a pretty massive epic space opera now the de developer uh creative director julian gregarity said that the game um uh, said too big is a game that people don't manage to play enjoy and finish not entirely true people do put time into big massive games and they will enjoy them uh like i.e a skyrim or even fallout and our objective is to get real, to really get people into a very dense, rich adventure, open world adventure that they can rhythm the way that they want. It, it sounds like they're comparing it more to sort of like the adventures you get out of an Assassin's Creed game. Uh, he continued by saying, this game is absolutely not going to be a 200 or 300 hour epic, unfinishable RPG. This is a very focused action adventure RPG that will take people on a ride and is very manageable. So what manageable possibly means is how it's going to relate to some of the multi-planet scale which hasn't really been specified 
what we've seen so far of the game is that it is going to sort of borrow elements from like Grand Theft Auto. You're going to get a wanted level. You're going to be able to do quests and tasks for uh, different smugglers around the planet. You're going to be able to travel between planets as well. So it is going to be a massive game in the respect that it is an open world Star Wars game and the first open world Star Wars game that doesn't feature a Jedi. But they're also suggesting that this game will be within reason and not a 300 hour epic like a Starfield. So maybe it's going to be closer to 100 hours. I think that seems like a pretty modest answer right there. Uh, Or maybe closer to 70 or 80. I'm going to kind of put it into the camp of like the 80 to 90 hour like a persona, which I do hope that it is falling into that radar. I think a 200 to 300 hour game is, you know, in some aspects, like people who have all the time in the world to play these games will put the hours in. For myself, that level of scale does not interest me. uh, And I certainly won't be chasing a platinum. Uh, I don't chase platinums to begin with, but like, I wouldn't have the inclination to want to chase a platinum or maybe spend even more than like 50 hours on a game. Like that really is kind of my cap, 50, 60 hours before I realize like, okay, I think I'm done with this experience. I think I got all I need out of it. Or I try to finish the story and just move on. So I am looking forward to seeing more from Star Wars Outlaws. I think it was a surprise announcement that came and it was very cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Ubisoft does with it. Now, this final story, it's a little more local. Uh, It's based in Toronto, um, uh, and it comes from University of Toronto. So there's a new online ebook that's being written as part of University of Toronto's Scholars in Residence program that's going to show how video games can be studied and critiqued the same way as classic literature. So this project is being led by Sonia Nikila, who is the assistant professor of teaching stream in the Department of English at the University of Toronto Scarborough. She teaches a course that's called Video Games Exploring the Virtual Narrative, and it says it makes sense to study video games like pieces of literature because many games nowadays have rich characters, settings, plots, and messages. Unlike static text, however, there are different endings, side quests, and optional plot points that make students' playthroughs a completely different game experience. So she said that she wanted to create a resource to show lots of ways you can approach games critically and how if you, even, if you haven't even finished a game or got a different ending than somebody else, that that experience is still critically valuable. Uh, so she's teamed up with a group of her students at UFT Scarborough uh, to give students across UFT uh, paid week research opportunities. And the quest was to create something to help students and teachers apply narrative theory to video games. And this is how they came up with the, the ebook titled Critical Inventory of Video Game Analysis, which is going to offer a series of frameworks that each make sense on their own, but also link to one another, allowing readers to sort of choose their own adventure. So some of the core game elements, such as plot and setting, will also be covered in this book, as well as others that will delve into more serious topics like Marxism, disability studies, and other areas of literary analysis. There is a section that is, funny enough, a play on DLC. It's called Demonstrations of Literary Criticism, otherwise known as DLC. And in the book, DLCs are a series of sample essays that are looking critically at games. Uh, So they use the example of one such student uh, who did an eco-feminist messaging on the Star Wars game Force Unleashed. Uh, So... This is very interesting. So far, it looks like it's only available within UFT. I would be very inclined to actually see if I can discover this book, if it is available to the public. Because if they're developing an e-work, an e-book within um, the university post-secondary education, I think it would definitely have um, 
some satisfying ramifications for people who would be more inclined to want to study game in deeper theory. We're seeing a lot of it now on, on YouTube with a lot of video essayists um, that do deep dives into games and kind of explore the, the various themes, story, character beats. Uh, so we're getting a lot more highbrow research and anal- anal- analysis on games and it's amazing it's like some of my favorite content on youtube and part of the poll as to why i continue to come back to the platform is because there's some superb video essays on not only video games but movies television the works so i love that they're exploring this in a college and university setting and i certainly hope that it does get sort of expanded out to different fields of study because we really should be looking at the the um the medium of video games the same way we look at film and television there should be a you know the stories have advanced to the point where they're on par or even better than most games or most movies or television shows with richer characters i have to give the example of the last of us of course because you saw how well it succeeded as a television show adaptation uh, but started as a game first which for people who may not be familiar with the game space would not know that it came from a game. So uh, that's proven that there are themes and there are elements that are worth diving into and exploring in deeper capacity. And I'd love to see that post-secondary students are taking an interest in this because I certainly would have loved to have a course like this when I was going to school. Um, so I'm a little jealous, but I will keep my eye open to see if an ebook does show up out in the general public outside of UFT. But that being said, I do want to move forward and talk about the YouTube video of the week. So I've been really interested in the concept of sleep. And I know it's because as a, as a parent, as a husband, as a, a nine to five worker, sleep is something that's few and far between. But one of my favorite YouTube channels of the past year and a bit is called Better Ideas. And it's a Canadian guy, a Canadian guy by the name of Joey Schweitzer, who lives in Vancouver. And he did a video how that was called how optimizing my sleep is making me limitless. Now, He does a lot of sort of self-help, mental health sort of approach, uh, big picture thinking about your mental health. Um, And he's sort of really the only channel that I've subscribed to um, that goes into this. And he's he's a very like articulate and very interesting um, speaker. But he also does some like very great like video editing. and, And when he's talking, he sort of juxtaposes what he's talking about with some of the viz that he shoots. And it's it's like a professional movie but it's also like very high-end good quality and great content as well so in this video he actually partnered with the company sleep number who does this sort of smart bed to determine if the age old um does eight hours of sleep mean that is is it important to get a decent eight hours of sleep per night and how does that affect your your mood and your energy and your activity the next day and so he decided to track himself for 30 days and do video blogs and the sleep number bed would de- determine how much restless sleep he got, how many times he got up in the middle of the night, as well as what time he went to sleep, what time he woke up. And it is determined, at least through like the actual amount of, of sleep that he was getting, that there were nights where he was getting less, like full, like he was having restless sleep more often than he, than he was. And there were certain factors that may have played into that. I, I'm not gonna spoil too much about the video, but 
I do think it is something that's worth watching if you are interested in sort of learning about some of the tips that you could do to get better sleep. Uh, and it's something that I certainly want to try as well. Um, but I'm not going to go into any more details about it because I feel like I've already kind of said too much. Go watch the video. I'm going to put the link in the show notes below. And with that being said, I do want to bring you to the uh, poll question. Now, you probably noticed that whatever the poll question I had suggested to you last week or two weeks ago was never posted. So what I did was I decided to make a brand new poll question. And this poll question kind of dropped last week uh, because it was Barbieheimer Day on Friday. And so I wanted to say happy Barbieheimer Day to people. And I wanted to find out what film people were watching first. Were they watching Barbie or Oppenheimer in the theater? I knew people, for the most part, because of the fact that the meme had kind of skyrocketed these two films pretty high, that people were probably going to do a double feature and spend five hours, five hours at the cinema watching these two films. Turns out 70% of people were more interested in Oppenheimer uh, than Barbie, but that could also just be the audience that I was going to watch. But I do have a brand new poll question that I want to kind of gauge by you guys. And this one isn't a really serious one, only because, as we talked about earlier in the episode uh, with Elon Musk's Twitter X and how people are converting their profiles into Organization 13 members, I was tempted, and I'm still tempted. I want to know, guys, should I join this trend? Should I convert my profile into an Organization 13 member? And I'll even go as far as to change my name. I'm not going to change, obviously, at will key, but I'll change my name to something that would be like an Organization 13 member, which is essentially their names, but they would like words jumbled up and the letter X in there. And then I'll have a, sta a static picture of an Organization 13 member as my profile picture, and I'll probably keep that up for like a week. Let me know. Are you guys interested in that? Because I'll do it. I will do it as of next Friday if, if I get a majority of people saying yes to it. Let me know. This question is available on X. <laughs> I need to get used to saying that on X slash Twitter. Um, and the question will be answered next week. We will find out next week if I will convert myself to the organization, if I will pull the heart out of my chest and become a nobody and just wear a black hood and be sad all the time. Or sorry, show no emotion because they don't technically have emotion even though they pretend to have emotion that's my deep kingdom hearts lore right there and you know y'all are here for it now so <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning in you can head over to my blog wkey.wordpress.com where i occasionally will post feature length articles news pieces or general opinions on anything i find interesting if you want to follow me on social media here's a couple places to do so over on the x platform you can follow me uh, my personal twitter account is at will key as well you can follow this podcast account podcast outbreak i do have threads now i don't know if i mentioned that last the last podcast but i'm on threads at william outbreak as well william outbreak also on tiktok you can search william outbreak on redbubble if you want to look for a unique shirt design we have three up right now if you want to drop a review or subscribe to the show we are available on anchor.fm but we can be found anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast which i do hope is me please feel free to leave a five-star review and let me know what you think of the show and if i should do anything if there's any recommendations for how you'd want to see the show improve please let me know we are, can be found on apple spotify google and many many more i do want to give you a reminder if you are subscribed on stitcher if i'm on stitcher apparently the platform is shuttering at the end of august um, so make sure you move yourself to a different platform if you are listening primarily on stitcher i think it's the end of august yeah august 31st i think that they said that they were shuttering so yeah you know plenty of other platforms you can sign up for they're probably all very similar priced as well if you're paying a fee for it just wanted to let you guys know that 
that being said i gotta get to editing this show and and possibly catching up on some other games or shows or whatever i need to watch thank you all so much for tuning in and have yourselves a fantastic night